When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello everyone, thank you for joining me around the fireside tonight. My name is Joe, and I'm here to tell you a story. A story about a magical village and its magical inhabitant. A story about the history of someone very special for this time of year. A story of frogs and ramses, of elves and gifts, of magic. Presenting Santa's First Christmas by M. B. Bennett, written for santasweb.co.uk. I'd like to thank the author for allowing me to read this lovely book. Should you wish to purchase it for yourself, you can on amazon.co.uk. If you enjoyed this story, please do let me know by liking it, leaving a rating or review, and subscribing to Tales by the Fireside. Every interaction truly does mean the world to this channel. Now please... Get comfortable, let go of the daylight, and join me for our story. Santa's First Christmas by M. R. Bennett Prologue Well, hello there. In my many travels around the world, I have been Papa Noel, Papa New, I've been Santa Claus, I've been Father Christmas, I have been known by many names. Even my coat has changed colour. Yes, my first was long and brown, like the colour of an elk, and was extremely heavy when it got wet. My second coat was lighter in weight, but shorter, and was of many colours. I even had a green one for a while. Then, a popular drinks manufacturer asked me to appear on their drinks can, and they gifted me a beautiful fur-lined suit, light as a feather in flaming red, and I still use it today. In over 600 years, I have given many gifts, but as time flew by, the world became more modern. 
Fantastic inventions, marvellous innovations could be seen. Santa's grottos would be needed to cover the ever-increasing population, and it was in one of said grottos I had the strangest of requests. I had been asked for much variety in gifts before, but never had I been asked for just a story when being visited, until I was visited by the two brothers, Robert and William. The boys proceeded to tell me that they didn't really need anything for Christmas and they were very happy with everything they had, but what they would really like is for me to tell them the story of Old Man Ramsey. How do you know this story? I asked. This is a story that's not well known. In fact, it is a secret story. A story that comes from my home. It's a story lost way in the past, with lessons to be learned in 24 segments from the first to the last, and bravery that was earned. I smiled and asked them to sit comfortably, and I began to tell them of the wondrous tale of Mr. Ramsay. And I'm going to read this to you over the next few nights. Now, I'm not saying it's true, I'm not saying it's false, but I will say, by the end, you will know a little more than most. So, let us begin. Chapter 1 Mr. Ramsay Dingly, bubbly, bubbly, bingly box, shouted old man Ramsay. He was cooking again, and every time he cooked, he would overcook whatever it was he was cooking. Anything and everything, he burnt it. He burnt his toast. He could burn soup. He always burnt his roast dinner. He could burn haggis. He even managed to burn cornflakes. It's fair to say he wasn't the greatest cook. This is why everyone in the village believed his cooking was the reason he was so grumpy, as he was a very, very grumpy man indeed. In fact, he was more grumpy than a carrier bag full of grumpy things coming back from a grumpy shop. The children of the village knew him as Old Man Gur, because that's all he would ever say when you spoke to him. Morning, Mr. Ramsay. Afternoon, Mr. Ramsay. Is that all you need, Mr. Ramsay? In fact, the children used to play a game and say absolutely anything to him at random to see if they could get him to say something different. There's a pink seagull on your head, Mr. Ramsay. He'd reply. Oh, strawberries really yellow, Mr. Ramsay. An elephant's bit my toenail, Mr. Ramsay. Every day they would try something new just to get him to say something. Anything would do, even simply, hi, because after all, it was good manners to do this. It was Saturday when the big removal van pulled out outside the old McDougal's place. The McDougal's had moved to the city, as Mrs McDougal got a top manager's job in a pickle factory in Floodenheim, the big city. So, the place was empty. Well, for a few minutes more at least, as the new owners had just pulled up. Boy, girl, one of each, or none at all, asked Lucinda. Don't care, said Frog. 
whose real name was Michael, but he kissed a frog when he was four to get a princess, and has been called Frog ever since. And no, there was no princess either. I would like one of each, said Erica. It would be wonderful. Well, looks like you got your wish, said Frog, tapping her on the shoulder and nodding his head in the direction of the van. Indeed, t'was a boy, about twelve, and a girl, about eight, and they were looking directly at them and started to walk over. Chapter 2 Charlie and Rosie Hi, I'm Charlie, and this is my sister Rosie. I think you'll find that I am Rosie, and this is my brother Charlie, said Rosie in a matter-of-fact way. But I'm the oldest, exclaimed Charlie. Yes, but I'm the prettiest, replied Rosie. She's not wrong, said Frog, who wasn't even looking at any of them. The children laughed. As introductions go, this was one of the funniest they could recall. So where have you moved from? asked Lucinda. Oslo, said Rosie. It was nice, but this place looks amazing. So pretty. Wow, you lived in a big city. That must have been quite awesome. I've never been to a city. Erica looked sad at the thought of not knowing what a city looked like, having never been. You haven't missed much, said Charlie in a comforting way. It's all very busy and everybody's rushing around. It seems much nicer here, Rosie interrupted. This was normal, and Charlie didn't mind. She was, after all, his little sister. Annoying, but still his sister. Oh my goodness, screeched Lucinda. How rude. We haven't done any introductions. I am Lucinda. This is my sister Erica, and that thing there is Frog. Frog? Both Charlie and Rosie said in disbelief. Yep, Frog he said, getting up and stretching out his muddy hand towards Charlie. Kissed one once, thought the magic could work on it, but all I got was slimy lips. Ew, said Rosie, how gross. What was it like? She paused in mid-sentence. Hang on a minute, what magic? Both Lucinda and Erica turned toward the boy with muddy hands, with a look of astonishment. Frog, they yelled. Er, uh, is there something we should know? asked Charlie. There's no such thing as magic, is there, Charlie? Rosie said knowingly. I'm afraid there is, said Frog. And you just moved to the capital of magic. Chapter 3 Dink and Dee's Magic Shop Follow me, said Frog, jumping to his feet. Where are we going? asked Rosie. To the best place on earth, exclaimed Frog. The child marched off in an easterly direction. They knew that because of the very curious giant weather vane in the centre of the town that seemed to cast giant shadowy letters on the ground. N, E, S and W. And, as they were walking in the shadow of the big E, Charlie figured his assumptions were probably correct and that they were, in fact, going east. Charlie then paused for a second. Hang on, he asked. How is there a shadow for all four compass points? That's just not possible, is it? Charlie looked at the tower. It was too thin to hold anything else other than the four giant letters. It's magic, said Frog. 
But that's not the best bit, he said excitedly. This village is kind of special. It had a very magical resident that is known throughout the world. We're here, said Frog, smiling. The others looked up at the sign, Dink and Dee's Magical Emporium. A magic shop? Really? exclaimed Charlie sarcastically. Now, whilst Charlie found magic extremely interesting, he was expecting something a little more than a magic shop. But then he questioned himself. Why would he expect more if he already knew that magic was just tricks? Come on, let's go inside, said Rosie. The children opened the door and ventured inside. Stood behind the counter was a small lady who was considerably smaller than she would appear. For Charlie could see, through the glass cabinet, that she was actually standing on a box. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Come, 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 come. Why, it's young Mr Frog. You've brought new children to see us. The voice came not from the lady in front of them, but behind. The children spun on their heels. In the corner, halfway up a ladder, was another small lady. You're very, very welcome, said the lady behind the counter, making the children turn again. So what can we do for you today? asked the lady on the ladder. Charlie was beginning to feel like he was a tennis match. Not to be caught out again, this time Charlie only half turned. I was wondering, said Frog, if you could tell these two what us three already know, that a particular person was born in this very village. Ah, yes, said the lady getting down from the ladder. But first, introductions. The lady behind, that was on the ladder, was now standing next to the lady behind the counter. I am Dink, and I am Dee, said the ladies, and this village is the birthplace of Nicholas Christopher Kringle. Now that is magic, smiled Frog. At that moment, the clock on the counter began to chime. Ooh, it's cake time, sister, said Dink. Indeed, said Dee. Until next time, said Dink. Bye-bye, said Dee. The children were ushered out of the shop. The door closed and the blind was pulled down. Chapter 4 Do You Believe? Well, that was a rather rude experience, said Charlie. He found the whole visit to the shop unique. In fact, it was rather strange. He was just about to ask a question when Lucinda spoke. Bet you would never have guessed that. Guess what? asked Rosie. That this was the village of Nicholas Kringle. Who is Nicholas Kringle? asked Rosie. Saint Nicholas, said Erica. Wait a minute, shouted Rosie. Are you trying to tell me that this village is the home of St. Nicholas, Father Christmas, the big red courier Santa? Well, yeah, said Frog. Thought you knew that. How on earth would I have known that? screamed Rosie with excitement. You're too much, Frog. That's enough, said Lucinda. But they should know, Lucy. Only Erica could call Lucinda Lucy. They might not know him as St. Nicholas. Different places know him by different names. It's just what happens. What happens? You guys, we live in Santa's village. Rosie could hardly contain herself. This could not be said of Charlie, though, for despite all of the excitement, 
He hadn't even said a word, not even a sound or the usual sound of disapproval. Charlie, don't you think this is amazing? Yes, it's amazing, Rosie. That's really nice, Charlie said in a big brotherly sort of way. That way, when a big brother tells you, you can believe it if you want, but I don't. That kind of moment when an older sibling is giving you your moment. Oh, I forgot you don't believe in Santa anymore because you're too old, replied Rosie, swiftly turning her back on her brother and glaring at Frog to tell her more. So which house is it? Rosie said, spinning her neck like an owl looking for a mouse. You can't see it, said Frog. It's way up there in the mountain. But over the years, the snow has made this misty thing and no one can see it. But it's there all the same. Oh, right, said Charlie condescendingly and winking at Frog at the same time. Oh, you'll see, Charlie, my boy, said Frog. You'll see. Christmas Eve, this village sparkles like a zillion stars in the sky. It's quite cool watching the sleigh take off too. That's enough, Frog, said Lucinda, scowling her eyes down at him. I'm sure they don't want to hear any more. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do, said Rosie. Rosie, we've got to go and help Mum and Dad. Come on, we'll pick up the stories later. See you all soon, said Rosie, as she skipped back to her house with Charlie. Charlie looked back at the group and shrugged his shoulders and smiled. Chapter 5 The Smile Lucinda, Erica and Frog had a very familiar Rrr. It was Mr. Ramsey. They hadn't noticed him standing there. In fact, they'd never seen him stand still before. He normally just walked through the village, walked to the store, growled at a few people and then walked back to his house. But this time he stopped and he was actually listening to the conversation. As soon as he realised that the kids noticed him, he gave his familiar growl and walked off. Was old man Ramsey listening to us? asked Lucy. It certainly would appear that way, said Frog. The kids watched the old man Ramsey as he walked towards his door, opened it with a creak and closed it softly behind him. The story of old man Ramsey was a weird one. No one actually knew why he became grumpy. Nobody knew why he didn't talk to anybody but it's believed he was over 100 years old. He was certainly the oldest person in the village. Mr. Ramsey put on a plate of food, and it wasn't long before you heard, Cock-a-doodle bumble sticks! Yeah, he had burned his dinner again, but as usual, it didn't deter him. He sat down with a large bottle of tomato ketchup, covered the whole entire dinner with it, and quite happily ate it while listening to the radio. You could hear Mr. Ramsey's radio as you walked past. It seemed to only play music from the 1920s. Several folk had tried to tune the radio, but every station on Mr. Ramsey's radio played the same song. It was very peculiar. It was now Sunday morning. Rosie was up bright and breezy after her first night in her new home. She rushed outside, running at full pelt and crashed squarely into the leg of an unexpected, lingering Mr. Ramsey. Oops, I'm sorry I'm in a rush. Isn't Christmasville amazing? I know that it's not its name, but it sounds so much better, don't you think? Mr. Ramsay forgot about his new sore leg as he was taken aback by the fact that this little girl had said all that in a single breath. 
Then something came over him. He looked down at Rosie, who was still sitting on the dusty floor. He paused and smiled. Chapter 6 The Snow Skimmer Mr. Ramsay smiling was a moment of an astonishing breakthrough. Just as he was about to speak, Rosie heard, Rosie, breakfast! With the sound of Charlie calling, Mr. Ramsay turned and walked away, albeit with a slight limp. Come on, Rosie! All right, I'm coming, scowled Rosie. Breakfast done, the siblings were keen to find Frog. Rosie wanted to know all about Santa, whereas Charlie was happy someone else would be getting their ears talked off for a change. Frog was sitting by a frozen pond, making snow skimmers, something he invented. What are they? asked Charlie as he watched a flat white disc skate across the pond and then explode as it hit the large rock in the middle. That's so cool! Snow skimmer, said Frog as he spun another across the pond. How do you make them? Is it the magic? Were you born magic? Can it be learnt? Can you show us? asked Rosie. Whoa, slow down there, girl, said Frog, just in time too, as Rosie took another breath. It's just squished snow. Run your finger around the edge, then skim it. I thunk it up because stones kept flying off in different directions and won it old man Gurr. Old man Gurr? Weird name, said Charlie. Yeah, it's what we call old man Ramsay because that's all he ever says, Charlie laughed. Well, he smiled at me this morning, Rosie said as she launched her third attempt at a snow skimmer, only to see it explode on impact. What? exclaimed Frog. All of a sudden, the laid-back, carefree Frog became very animated. You saw old man Gurr smile? This was headline news. This was big. Huge, in fact. Frog couldn't remember any more important news ever. We must find Lucinda now. What's the big deal? asked Charlie. Can't speak, said Frog, who was clearly in shock. In fact, Charlie was slightly concerned. Not overly concerned, but on the level equal to realising you've just eaten your last sweet. Frog, are you okay? Chapter 7 a plan of action. Mr. Ramsay was going about his daily routine, completely unaware of the commotion his simple smile had caused. Lucinda, Erica, open up, this is important, Frog yelled as he hammered on the girl's front door. They're obviously not in, said Rosie, in a way best described as the way you'd talk to someone who had just told you that sharks were fish. Pointless to keep knocking. Anyhow, are you going to tell us what all the fuss is about? Yes, come on, said Charlie. Why is this such a big deal? The girls lived across the road from the village store, and as Frog slumped onto the girls' doorstep, he glanced across to the other side of the street. There was a group of adults, four or five, then more joined. It was fast becoming more of a crowd. What's going on over there? asked Frog, pointing a finger to what was now a considerable gathering. Let's check it out, said Rosie eagerly. Huh? said Frog. She means, let's go and see what's going on, explained Charlie. Frog was beginning to think that Rosie and city folks spoke a completely different language. As the children approached the crowd, they could see it was Lucinda and Erica at the centre of it, and they appeared to be telling the crowd something of great importance. 
Erica, what's happening? asked Rosie. But with all the chatter, Erica couldn't hear. Lucinda, called Frog. Lucinda, he tried again. Oh, this is stupid, said Charlie as he took a deep breath. Quiet, he yelled. His yell was so loud that snow slid off the roof of the store straight down onto the crowd below, shocking them all into silence. Well, that'll about do it, laughed Frog. Rosie seized her moment. Lucinda, what on earth is happening? Chapter 8 The Discovery Mr Ramsay picked up his groceries and tipped his hat at the assistant, smiled and said, Good day to you, Shelley, and turned to walk out the door. The assistant's mouth dropped open. She was frozen in shock. He spoke. He actually spoke. As he walked out of the shop, Mr Ramsay saw that a huge crowd had gathered and they were all staring directly at him in total silence and bizarrely all covered in snow. Mr Ramsay raised his hat, smiled and proceeded on his way. See, we told you, shouted Lucinda and Erica together. Something is wrong with old man Gurr. How is something wrong? He's just being polite, said Rosie. He smiled at me before breakfast too. What's the big deal? The whole crowd spun on their heels and stared at Rosie, who was feeling bewildered and now intimidated. She doesn't know, said a portly lady who had a small dog in her handbag with just its head sticking out. How can she not know? asked another. Well, obviously, we've just moved here yesterday, scorned Rosie. A silence spread out over the gathering. Old man Gurr never smiles, exclaimed Lucinda. He never talks, he never lifts his head, he never raises his hat, and yet today he did all four. Wait a minute, Lucinda was on a roll. In fact, nothing was different until you spoke to him. When was that? What did you say? Where did you say it? Whoa, slow down there, said Charlie in a protective big brother tone. You can't fire questions at her like that. I am sorry, we're just so excited and confused. No one in the village has ever seen old man Gurr do anything but... Gurr, explained Lucinda. Sorry, Rosie. It's okay, but I'm still confused. We need to find out what's going on. That man wished me a good day. What if I don't want a good day? exclaimed Shelley, who is now sitting on the steps of the shop, drinking a cup of tea to calm her nerves. Why don't you just go and ask him? asked Rosie. He seems nice, I'm sure he'd tell you. The crowd's jaws dropped again for the second time. Then quickly, they began to form small groups discussing who should be the unfortunate to be sent to knock on Mr Ramsay's door. Chapter 9. The Nomination I think it should be Rosie, since she was the one who first saw him smile, said Frog, as he wiped his finger on his trousers. Goodness knows where it had been. No worries, said Rosie. It doesn't bother me. I'm happy to. Not on your own, you won't. Big Brother was there again. I'll go with her, said Charlie. Count me in too, said Frog. Well, thank you, Frog. That's really good of you, said Charlie. No problem, said Frog. Besides, old man Gurr only buys milk and cookies. So, there's a chance of free food. There's Frog thinking with your stomach again, laughed Lucinda. Charlie smiled. Can we come too? 
said Erica, tugging at her sister's dress. Oh, yes, that would be marvellous, an excited Rosie exclaimed. That's it then, is it? asked Shelley. We are to send the kids. I don't think that's right, mind, but they seem to be up for it. Charlie was getting slightly concerned over the way the adults appeared to be extremely reluctant to go and talk to Mr. Ramsay, Charlie's preferred name for the gentleman, but nevertheless, he was up for the task. The five children grouped together and started walking to Mr. Ramsay's house. The large gathering appeared to follow for a few paces, but then stopped. I didn't understand why. Maybe the pub was open or the cake shop had a special offer on, but they appeared to stop and allow the children to walk on. As the children approached the steps of Mr. Ramsay's house, they could not help but notice how old the house actually was. But, ironically, it was spotlessly clean. Not even a spider's web. Nothing. And the doormat looked as if it had never been stepped on. Rosie raised her hand and tapped three times on the door. Nothing. She tapped again. Tap, tap, tap. Still nothing. Oh, for goodness sake, you blinking city folk, said Frog as he pushed his way to the front. Give it a proper knock. Just as Frog raised his hand, the door swung open. Chapter 10 The House Standing in the doorway was a figure towering over them. He must be three metres tall, thought Charlie. As the children looked up, they saw a kind old face with a beaming smile that strangely filled them with happiness. He's huge, said Erica. Oh, I do apologise, said the old man, stepping off a box. I was putting the bell above the door. The children were aghast, so much so that Frog thought his jaw would fall off. Close your mouth, Michael. Your tongue will freeze. Ho, ho, ho. Now, two things went through the children's heads. One, could your tongue actually freeze if you kept your mouth open too long in cold weather? Two, and much more importantly, how did this old man know Frog's real name? Uh, do I know you? Frog asked, still looking to see if his tongue had frozen. <laughs> well, that's a question that cannot be answered by a simple yes or no, said the old man. Would you like to come inside and I'll tell you about it? Erica, Lucinda, you're welcome too, and bring your new friends Charlie and Rosie as well. Children stared at each other. Oh my goodness, expressed Rosalie. He knows all our names. How's that possible? It's not, said Lucinda. Something's not right. I'm not going in and neither is Erica. Erica? Erica? Erica, Frog and Rosie were already over the threshold. Charlie looked at Lucinda. No choice now, said Charlie. Come on. Lucinda stamped her foot in disapproval and followed Charlie in and found the others staring around the room in wonder. There were twinkling lights everywhere, as far as they could see. The twinkly lights seemed to move and dart around the room and it was difficult to turn your head to try and follow even one of them, let alone the millions and billions that must have been there. Rosie tugged on Charlie's jacket. Charlie, do you think it's him? I mean, really him? Really who? said Charlie. You know, S-A-N-T-A, -A, spelt Rosie, thinking that no one else would understand. Santa Claus, blurted out Erica. <laughs> what, you think that's Santa? asked Lucinda in disbelief. The four of them 
then got into quite a heated discussion about how the old man could be or couldn't be the great Father Christmas. But in all the kerfuffle, in all the noise, young Michael stood completely still. Yes, our beloved frog was quiet and just staring at the now not so tall man in front of him. He looked straight at him and said, Excuse me, sir, are you Saint Nicholas? You know, Father Christmas? Are you Santa? Chapter 11 The Secret He's not Santa, he can't be Santa, said Lucinda. If he was Santa, Saint Nicholas, he would be over 600 years old. 642 to be precise, said the old man, but who's counting? Oh my goodness, you are him, said Rosie. That's very flattering, Rosie, but I'm not Santa Claus. My name is Floyd, and if you like, I'll enlighten you. But first, cocoa and cookies, and then we can sit down and I'll tell you THE story. THE story, said Charlie. Not A story, THE story. Charlie was confused and intrigued at the same time. Yes, Charlie, THE story. The story that's told every year. The story of our village. Now, who would like Coco? Not wanting to miss an opportunity of Coco, all five children immediately put their hands in the air. You still take four sugars, Michael? Frog stared at the old man. Uh, yeah, he said gingerly. How did he know that? He whispered to Rosie, although everyone heard him as Frog didn't know the meaning of whispering. I think he's one of them physics, he said, nudging Rosie. Psychic! corrected Lucinda. The children giggled. I am not a psychic, he laughed. Floyd's laugh was highly recognisable. A deep, bellyful chuckle the kind children recognise. He even laughs like him, said Rosie to Charlie. He can't be him. I will tell you again, I am not him. My name is Floyd and I am an elf. The children looked at each other, very puzzled. You're six feet, said Charlie. There's no way you can be an elf. The children were all scratching their heads and were very puzzled. Floyd put a big pan of milk on the open stove and reached up for the cocoa powder. He could hear the children whispering amongst themselves, trying to figure out how Mr. Ramsey, who they now knew as Floyd, could be an elf. Floyd tipped the cocoa powder into the boiling milk. Still over the fire, of course, as everyone knows you put the cocoa in while it's still boiling. He then dipped a small ladle into the milk, which measured out perfectly for six cups of cocoa. In one go! Which was rather weird, because it didn't look like the ladle could hold that much. Floyd brought over a tray with all six cups on. He handed them out to the children. Frog immediately went to drink it. Blow it first, said Lucinda, it will be too hot. Frog took no notice at all and sipped it. Don't be daft, tis perfect. How is that possible? quizzed Lucinda. All of the children took a sip of the cocoa. It was absolutely perfect for every one of them. They all looked at Floyd. He smiled, took a sip of his own cocoa and shrank to two feet one. Chapter 12 Floyd, the gatekeeper. It had only been 30 seconds, but
but it seemed like at least five minutes before anyone had made a sound. Okay, so, said Charlie, trying to catch his breath, you just shrunk. Am I dreaming? Charlie felt a sharp kick to his left shin. Ow, screeched Charlie. You're definitely awake, said Rosie. Always wanted to do that, she smiled. You really are an elf, said Erica. You're so cute. Not sure whether to take that as a compliment or an insult, young Erica, said Floyd, with a big smile on his face. Allow me to introduce myself properly. My name is Floyd, and I am the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper, all the children said in unison. Yes, the gatekeeper. I am the person that has the keys to the gate that takes you to the kingdom in the North Pole. You mean the kingdom where Santa lives? asked Erica. Yes, why do you look so puzzled? But how does nobody know this? How do you keep it a secret? Well, magic, of course. But how do you... Charlie began to ask when he was interrupted by Floyd. If you all sit down, I will tell you all why. This village doesn't know who I am, but from tomorrow they will. But on December 26, they'll forget for one more year. What, you mean like a spell on the village? asked Lucinda. That's not right. Floyd took a deep breath and wiggled himself comfy on a big red beanbag. Shall I begin? Yes, please, said Erica. The other children nodded. So it was. Chapter 13 Mr Kringle The snow was very heavy in the valley that year and many of the mountain tops were already holding far too much snow. Nobody knows what the exact year was, but the story says it was well over 600 years ago. The snow was heavy and was sure to fall soon. Everyone was waiting for the inevitable to happen. And then, just as it hit December, it happened. One morning, the snow came cascading down from the mountains, blocking the whole entire valley. There was no way through. The village was cut off. Ordinarily, this would have been a problem for the village, but these villages were very bright. They had stocked up their stores, stocked up their cupboards and settled down for a winter way before December. Everyone was extremely content. So, being blocked in by 42,315 tonnes of snow didn't bother them in the slightest. That was until around December the 6th. Someone mentioned, What are we going to do about Christmas? Where or how are we going to get the children's presents? Unbeknown to all of them, one of the oldest gentlemen in the village, who lived right at the top of the village secluded from everybody else with a tiny little workshop, was Christopher Kringle. Mr Kringle's house was in fact so far up the mountain that many of the villagers rarely saw him. He'd come down maybe once a month and stock up on cookies and milk. Seems that's all he ever bought. Oh, and bags of carrots because he kept reindeer, but no one could remember him buying anything else other than cookies and milk. Very curious, but I digress. Unbeknown to the rest of the villagers, Chris Kringle had already thought about the children. He was busy in his workshop making little wooden toys, trains, cars, dolls and action figures. His idea was to leave them as a small gift on the doorstep of every house in the village that had children, without anyone else knowing. Once he'd finished the very last toy car, he'd put them all in a big carrot sack 
and leave the house. His plan was to sneak out that night, but he got about a hundred meters down the mountain and saw someone holding a lamp, so he quickly ran back to his house. He didn't want to be seen. Mr. Kringle tried several times on several nights to get the presents delivered. After his fifth or sixth attempt, he was beginning to believe it wasn't going to be possible. But then he had an idea. Chapter 14 The Time Stone Nicholas remembered when he was a boy. He was way up in the mountains following reindeer tracks when he could have sworn he noticed a very small person with a white fluffy beard fishing in one of the lakes in the mountains. But he heard a sound behind him. He turned to see what it was, but when he turned back, the little person had gone. When he told his mother what he had seen, she said, Sit down, Christopher, and I will tell you something. Nicholas's mum called him Christopher for one simple reason. Christopher's father was called Nicholas. Christopher was also called Nicholas after his father, a tradition in the village, but his middle name was Christopher, so his mum thought it best just to call him Christopher to save the confusion within the house. She told him of the legend of the elven folk, a race of tiny people that were mysterious and somewhat magical, and had lived there for thousands of years and no one had ever spoken to one, but many had seen a glimpse of one. The only person in the village who had claimed to spend some time with them was Victor, the old hermit who lived down by the river. He claimed the elven folk could stop time, which is how they managed to appear and reappear in the blink of an eye. On remembering this, he knew what had to be done. Now, Christopher hadn't been down to the river for a long time, but he felt if there was anyone that could help him, it would be the old hermit Victor. As Christopher approached the hermit's house, he could see him outside trying to chop some wood. "'May I help you?' asked Christopher. Seeing a young, strapping man and looking at the pile of wood that needed chopping, the hermit was not stupid and said, "'Yeah, you can chop this wood for me.' "'No problem, sir,' said Christopher, picking up the axe. After completing the task in next to no time, Christopher carried the wood into the hermit's house. So you want to know about the elves, then? Christopher looked surprised. Don't look so shocked, said the hermit. No one comes down to see me unless it's about the elves, and all they want to know about is the time stone. Time stone? Christopher looked confused. Yeah, they use it. It makes them appear to move about so quickly. So you'll be wanting directions, then. Chapter 15 The Rules Christopher was totally confused. How did this man know that? How did he know? This was mind-blowing. You look a bit kerfuddled, smiled Victor. I am, expressed Christopher. You're telling me elves are actually real? Oh, very much so. And if you want to deliver these presents, you're going to need their help. OK, now I'm freaking out, said Christopher. I haven't told anyone about the toys I've made for the children. Like I said... Time stone can go backwards, forwards, sideways, slice any which way it wants, but it's not an easy journey to get to the village, I will tell you that. But I only have ten days left before Christmas. How far is this village? You'll get there when you get there, but first you need to take some provisions and a gift for your companion, said Victor. But Christopher paused and thought, better not to ask 
and just to listen. The hermit put a large pot of water on the fire and started chopping up some vegetables. Now, while I make this soup, I'm going to tell you of a few ground rules you're going to have to abide by. Rules? asked Christopher. Well, more customs and manners than rules, but if you don't adhere to them, then Elder will give you nothing. Are you listening? Yes, nodded Christopher excitedly. Okay. One. You must always nod your head when you pass anyone else as a greeting of hello. You do not speak. You just nod your head in the direction of the person you're passing. They will nod back. Politeness. 2. Never miss a please or a thank you. Very important. 3. Never interrupt when others are speaking. Wait your turn. 4. Elves do not shake hands. They tap feet. Tap feet? asked Christopher. Yes, replied Victor. You lift your left leg, they lift theirs, and you tap each other's foot on the side. Christopher smiled. Five. Advice is free. Only a fool doesn't listen. Now, soup's ready to simmer. You can start your journey in the morning. Get some sleep. You're going to need it. Chapter 16. The Journey the morning sun shone through the slightest crack in the curtain and beamed directly onto the eyes of Christopher. It was as if the sun knew exactly where to get him. Opening his eyes, he saw that the old hermit was already up and making a pot of tea. This is stewed perfectly, said Victor, pointing at a large pot. It's for the journey, my special nettle soup. Just warm it up on the fire and it will keep your energy up. The hermit handed Christopher the pot, then secured the lid with some straw. Thank you so much for all your help, replied Christopher. It's a good thing you're doing, young Kringle. I think you're about to start something legendary. With that, Christopher nodded his head towards the wise old man, slung his bag on his back, and started to walk. So, you know which direction you're going then, smiled Victor. Oh, uh... I just thought I was following the path, said Christopher. Ha, 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 laughed Victor. No, you follow the bluebells. You follow the sounds. What? Christopher looked confused again. Bluebells don't make sounds. They're flowers, aren't they? Oh, questions, questions, questions. Do you ever, ever listen, sighed the old man. Gently tap the first bluebell. Christopher thought this very strange, but remembered what the hermit had said. Rule number five. Advice is free. Only a fool doesn't listen. He bent down and tapped the first bluebell. There was nothing at first, and just as he bent down to tap the flower again, he heard a gentle sound. Faint, but definitely there. Aye, that's it, said Victor, in a knowingly sort of way. Now, when it stops ringing... Tap the next one until you find the village. Once again, Christopher nodded towards the wise old hermit and his journey had begun. There could not have been a better day to start a trek into the mountains. The sun was shining, the snow was glistening, birds were singing in the trees and the bluebells were ringing. Yeah, it was rather strange but very easy to follow. Christopher had been walking for most of the morning and was getting rather peckish. He'd never eaten nettle soup before, so didn't know whether to have it cold or hot. 
Considering it was quite cold and he was surrounded by snow, he thought it best to light a small fire and heat some up. He found a few stones, made a circle and took some dry twigs from his backpack. He lit a small fire and placed a can on top with some of the soup and waited for it to heat up. Chapter 17 A Fright The aroma of the soup must have travelled for miles. It was a sweet smell which seemed to pierce the nostrils with the fragrance as strong as a winter rose. Christopher thought if it tastes half as good as it smells then he was in for a real treat. And it was at that point Christopher heard a twig snap in the tree line. Who's there? shouted Christopher. He heard a very familiar sound and it was not a sound he wanted to hear. As he feared, it was the roar of a black bear standing on its hind legs at least seven feet tall. Hundreds of things were rushing through Christopher's mind. Should he run? Should he lay down on the floor like he was taught? What should he do? The bear was just standing, growling, roaring and being very frightening indeed. All of a sudden, from behind Christopher came another roar. But this wasn't an aggressive roar like the bear. It was a more conversational roar, as if someone was talking to the bear. An inch, move not. Turn around, you must not. Still, you stay. Christopher was not about to argue. Once again, the conversational roar began. Roar, 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 roar. Then, the extraordinary happened. The bear appeared to answer the person behind Christopher, who he had yet to see. They were actually talking to the bear. All of a sudden, the bear went on all fours, bowed his head, and turned and walked away. Now Christopher was extremely curious as to who it was standing behind him. He turned around cautiously and slowly. To you, afternoon, I say. Christopher could not believe his eyes, for standing in front of him was a maiden, a very beautiful maiden with long, flowing brown hair, perfectly straight. She wore boots that went three quarters of the way up her legs, green tights, a green bodice, and a long green winter coat trimmed with white fur. Christopher nodded his head, for he remembered what the hermit had told him. Good afternoon. I am Christopher Kringle, he said. Ha! Bow like you think I'm an elf, you do. Name's Linium Babaru, Keeper of the Woods. Call me Lin, you may. Chapter 18 A Companion Hi Lin, nice to meet you, said Christopher. Doing what in the woods are you? asked Lin. I'm in search of the elven village. But wait, can I ask you something first? Were you talking to that bear? Christopher asked. I was, of course. Fluent in bear I am. Also, I speak bee, beaver, deer, elk, tree, hawk, and all seven different dialects of worm. Human difficult, I find, to get in order the words right. Christopher looked in amazement at this wonderful creature in front of him. May I offer you some soup? he asked. Flavour kind you have? It is nettle flavour, replied Christopher. He was kind of getting used to the way this person was speaking. Hot diggity, like some very much I would. The pair sat round the fire enjoying cups of nettle soup. 
Christopher was the first to speak. Could you show me how to get to the elven village? he asked. Show you I can't. Join you on your journey I can. Like you I do. Make good soup. So finish, if you go then, said Lynn. Direction we go. Tell you I can't that must follow you, so I must not, she continued. Christopher was struggling to understand this particular sentence. So you're telling me you can't tell me where the elf village is, but you know where it is and you'll come with me on the journey to the elven village for me to find. Stupid not you are, smiled Lynn. Correct, smiled Christopher. But why do you wish to come with me? You told I did. Good soup you make. I wish that it was me that made it, replied Christopher. It was Victor, the hermit that lives by the river, that made it. Yes, sent me he did. I on you he told me to keep. Lucky for you, protect I shall, Lynn said, winking. Like you I do. Now direction which? Christopher remembered what Victor had said. Just tap the next bluebell. Christopher looked around and sure enough there was a small clump of bluebells. He tapped the flower, the bells rang and they were on their way. Chapter 19 The Village It was close to dusk when the bluebells stopped ringing. Christopher looked round for more bluebells. There must be some here somewhere. Eyes shut you have, Lynn said. With that, Christopher looked up and just on the tree line he could see some twinkling lights. Is that the village? asked Christopher. Not say, said Lynn, but check it out you must. The pair walked towards what was obviously a tiny village. A small person approached who was no more than two feet high. Christopher remembered immediately. He nodded his head towards the small person who nodded back. As they walked closer towards the centre of the village, more and more small people bowed their heads towards Christopher and Lynn. As they reached the town centre, a large crowd had gathered. Christopher bowed his head very low. Welcome, Christopher. You took your time, said a small voice right from the middle of the crowd. Welcome back, Linium. Would you like a hot chocolate? asked the voice. Favourite drink, you know that is, said Lynn excitedly. Two extraordinarily large cups of hot chocolate, please, Flugel. Coming right up, Elder. With that, two very large mugs were brought round on what could be best described as a trailer for a horse-drawn carriage, except pulled by six small persons who Christopher was beginning to expect were, in fact, elves. Wow, now that's a hot chocolate, said Christopher, looking at the size of the mug. So, Christopher, you've come here to borrow my time stone? Christopher looked puzzled. Not once had he thought about the time stone. That's not why I'm here. I just need your help with something, replied Christopher. Yes, 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 yes. We know you would like to deliver the presents you have made for children in time for Christmas. The only way to do that in one night is using the time stone, said the voice. Still, Christopher could not determine who was speaking. But that would be 160 presents in one night to 150 houses. How would I do that? inquired Christopher. Stone only way, said Lynn, pulling her mug down from her mouth, revealing a very large chocolate moustache. 
Yes, that is very true, Linium. Now, may I introduce myself? Suddenly, a head started to rise above the rest of the crowd. And as it did, Christopher could see a small person sporting a long white beard and a very cute purple hat. I am Dar, the Elder, leader of the Elves. Now, let's go inside. Chapter 20. The Time Stone. Oh my goodness, this is the best story ever, said Rosie, who could not contain her excitement. It certainly is. It's a very good story, said Charlie. But remember, it's just a story. I don't care. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it, said Rosie very excitedly. I must admit, said Lucinda, you do tell it very well, Mr. Ramsay. You may call me Floyd, Lucinda. Now, shall we have another hot chocolate and continue, replied Floyd. Oh, yes, please, said Erica. Oh, I think I'd like one too, said Frog. Everybody want one, asked Floyd. Yes, please, said the children simultaneously. Mr. Ramsay, I mean Floyd, made another hot chocolate for everyone, and once again there seemed to be a very small ladle fill up all six cups exactly. Charlie couldn't figure this one out, but he did find it rather curious. So, where were we? Ah, yes, the time stone, said Floyd. Now, Christopher, said Dar the Elder, the time stone is very unique. Although it can be used to go backwards and forwards and sideways, for you, I think it's best if we teach you how to freeze time first for this year. One small turn, one small tap, one tiny twist, and then a turn back. Take a look outside now, my lad. Christopher stuck his head outside the front door, and to his amazement, everything had frozen. Not frozen like ice, but frozen as in still. There was nothing moving. Even droplets of water had frozen in mid-air. With this feature, my lad, you will be able to travel the whole entire village without anyone else losing any time at all. But for you, it will be a few days, which of course has its consequences. Consequences? said Christopher. What consequences? It means everyone else will remain the same but you will age two days faster than them. Every time you freeze time, you will continue to grow old, whereas everybody else will not. Therefore, the more time you spend in frozen time, the older you will get. Wow, that's something to think about, said Christopher. Now, let's see if you can do this. Start the sequence, and I would like you to place one chocolate button in everyone's hand in the village to see how quick you can be. Let's begin. Chapter 21. A New Coat. Christopher stepped outside. Now remember, don't dawdle, get it done as quick as you can, said Dar. Christopher wasted no time. He placed a chocolate button in every hand as quickly as he could, running to and fro around the village. But then he stopped. There was Lynn. She was frozen too. Her eyes were crossed and her tongue was sticking out as if she knew it was about to be frozen. She was so funny. He stayed a little while and placed two chocolate buttons in her hand, an extra one, because he was becoming rather fond of her. Then he finished the last one and raced back to the elder's house. Finished, he said. Hmm, you didn't dawdle at all, did you? asked the elder. I ran around as fast as I could, 
replied Christopher. You didn't stop at all? Anywhere? inquired Dar. Well, I did stop to look at Lynn's face. She was blowing a raspberry, he giggled. Hmm, maybe you want to look at your own face now, smiled the elf. Christopher started to worry as he walked over to the mirror. Oh my, I've started to grow a beard. How is that possible? asked Christopher. You were gone for three days. What I told you, every second you spend is a minute in real time. Every minute an hour, every hour a day. Every day is a week, and so on, giggled the elf. Well, I'm going to have to be really careful. Laughter filled the room. Now you are ready, said the elder. I can't thank you enough, said Christopher. Thank you, thank you, he said to everyone in the room. Now I will give you the time stone, and I will tell you what the last consequences are. First is that you will live for a thousand years until it is time for your replacement. You may send as many deputies into the world as you wish, but you are the only one who can deliver the gifts. Second, you must do this all on the 24th of December each year. Can you do this, Nicholas Christopher Kringle? Christopher paused and took a deep breath. Yes, I can, he said with a confident smile. We knew you would say that, smiled the elf. The tailor has made you a suit with new boots and a new coat, and it's in elven green. Why, thank you. And it's in elven green, Christopher said gratefully. The elder smiled. It will appear green to all elven folk and to those that are in possession of the time stone, but to the human world it will appear red. Now it's time for you to be on your way. We've arranged a faster means of travel. Chapter 22 The New Home Christopher went outside. Sitting on a beautiful sleigh, reins in hand, was Lynn. At the front of the sleigh were six strong reindeer. You will pick up more reindeer over the years to come. These six will get you home. And with that, the elder bowed. Until next time, Saint Nicholas. Lynn cracked the whip and the reindeer sped across the ground. They were on their way back. Did he just call me Saint Nicholas? asked a confused Christopher. Yep, he did. Thought up by the elves it was. Suits you it does. Saint Nick, laughed Lynn. The pair got back to the village. St. Nicholas and Lynn prepared all of the presents for delivery. How am I going to carry all of these? asked St. Nicholas. Sack I'll make you, said Lynn. They placed all the toys inside the sack, then St. Nicholas activated the time stone. He managed to deliver every single present and get back to the house in one go. I've done it, I've done it, he said. Lynn took one look at him and burst into laughter. Ha ha, beard you have, giggled Lynn. Ho, 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 said St. Nicholas, looking into the mirror. It's gone white. In the summer of that year, Lynn and St. Nicholas were married, and through the years they extended the giving of presents to other villages in the area. Pretty soon, they were covering most of Scandinavia. Different villages had different names for St. Nicholas, but most were calling him Santa Claus. Santa, meaning saint, and Claus, from Nicklaus. But the problem for Santa was, even though he had the time stone, it wasn't the delivering, it was the making. Santa and his wife just did not have time to make all the toys. It was time to go back and see the elder elf. Mr and Mrs Claus jumped in the sleigh and headed north to the elven village.
they were greeted with loud cheers. Every elf came onto the streets to see them. News of their success over the years had spread as far north as the elven village. Then there he was, the elder Dar. It's good to see you again, Mr. and Mrs. Santa Claus. He had a big, beaming smile on his face. So, you are here to ask for help? Santa had a very puzzled look on his face. How come you always know what I'm here for? asked Santa. We know everything in the elven village. We hear and see everything, said Dar. How is that possible? asked Santa. The trees tell us, the plants tell us, the bees, the birds and the worms tell us. Santa just had a look of amazement on his face. So, in anticipation, in advance, we have built a workshop. We have built you a new house in our village and we have developed a way of you visiting the whole world in one night, said the elder proudly. Mr. and Mrs. Claus' drawers dropped. Possible, how is that? Mrs. Claus asked. Come in, and all will be revealed. Chapter 23 The Magic They followed the elder down a small path. It was a bit of a squeeze, as Santa had put on quite a bit of weight. Well, it's not easy to stay trim eating hundreds of cookies in one day. They walked through a small door and could not believe their eyes. Through the door was the biggest toy factory they'd ever seen. Hundreds and hundreds of elves were busy building toys. They even had an automatic wrapping machine. This is amazing, said Santa. Follow me, said Dar. This is your office, Mrs. Claus. We've put you in charge of the whole entire building. But the main purpose of your job is to make sure Santa is ready every year. Mrs. Claus smiled. How easy that is, she replied. Your house is just through there. They were led to another small door. There was a beautiful fireplace, two lovely picture windows, a tree decorated with tinsel and lights, and a big comfy chair right by the fire. This is perfect, said Santa. Now we are going to deliver presents to every child throughout the whole world, exclaimed Dar. The whole world? checked Santa in disbelief. Yep, the whole world, because we have made reindeer dust, said one of the elves. Made what have you? asked Mrs. Claus. Reindeer dust, repeated the elf. The reindeer will be able to fly at Mark too, another elf said. Who is Mark? asked a confused Mrs. Claus. M-A-C-H. Mark too is twice the speed of sound, said a small elf with glasses. My name is Torvi, and I am a tech elf. I have made it so your sleigh and reindeer fly. We have also made dust that when you touch your nose, you will be able to magically whoosh down a chimney or through any letterbox or keyhole straight into the home to deliver the present under the tree. A tap of your nose again and you can whoosh back. Both Mr. and Mrs. Claus were wide-eyed with amazement. That's fantastic, said Santa, super excited. You've started something quite big, said Dar, and now the whole world will benefit. You truly are making Christmas magical, said Santa. Elves are just amazing. What say you, Mrs. Claus? Are we ready for this? We ready, I say, said Mrs. Claus. The elder smiled. And so it begins. 
Floyd looked down and then smiled at the joy on the children's faces. Chapter 24 The Christmas Tree Wow, what an amazing story, Mr. Ramsey. I mean Floyd, said Lucinda. Why, thank you, young lady, said Floyd. Is it a true story? asked Erica. There was an awkward few seconds of silence, which was then broken by a very high-pitched squeal. That was awesome. Please say it's true, beamed Rosie. It's a story, Rosie, said Charlie. Elves aren't re The word Charlie was going to say was real. But then something dawned on him. He was sitting having cocoa with a man who, before they entered his house, was close to six feet tall and was now no more than three feet. The cocoa they were sipping came from a ladle that could never fill up one cup, let alone the six it did every time, and Mr. Ramsay introduced himself as Floyd the gatekeeper. Gatekeeper of what? Floyd began to smile as he saw the realisation appearing on Charlie's face. He looked at Rosie with a big beaming smile, which was so infectious it had spread to Frog, Lucinda and Erica. I... but it... It's, said Charlie. Oh my, you're an elf, he said, astonished and pointing at Floyd. Indeed I am. I'm Floyd the gatekeeper, gatekeeper to the elf kingdom. And yes, Rosie, before you ask me, this village is the home of St. Nicholas. Now, who's going to help me decorate the village? Floyd handed them all a box of Christmas baubles the kind you hang on a Christmas tree. The children were in such a state of wonderment that they didn't speak. They just took the boxes. Inside, there were six in all, numbered one to six. The children followed Floyd outside, still in amazement of what they had learned. They were astonished as the villagers walked past. Good afternoon, Floyd. Not long now, Floyd. But when we went in, no one knew you, said Charlie. I told you, they will all know tomorrow, laughed Floyd, winking at Rosie. Now, Charlie, you can throw the first bauble. Hold it tightly in your hand and throw it straight to the centre of the town square. Charlie took a stance and threw the bauble as hard as he could towards the centre of the town square as he'd been asked. It hit the floor and shattered. But nothing happened, exclaimed Charlie. "'Patience,' replied Floyd. "'With that, there was a rumble, "'and a massive tree shot up out of the ground. "'It was huge. "'Now, children, get your number ones "'and toss them at the tree.' "'And as they did, the tree was completely covered "'in a kind of sparkling dust. "'Now twos, everyone. "'The number twos were lights, "'which went all around the tree. "'And now then threes,' said Floyd. "'Tinsel surrounded the tree.' But not just the tree, all of the town was suddenly lighting up with Christmas decorations. Fours and fives to complete the look. Everyone had thrown all their numbers except the number sixes. Now, said Floyd, for the number six, I want you to throw them at the top of the tree. I'll never be able to throw all the way up there, said Erica. You will, said Floyd with a wink. Now, on the count of three... One, two, three. The children threw their baubles up in the air. They collided 
at the very top of the tree, and the Christmas star appeared, shining brightest of all. Now we are ready for Christmas, smiled Floyd. The end. Good night. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.